Hey guys, it's your host, Megan Kenny, and thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Lifting the Fog, a podcast that hopes to become a collection of conversations offering support and connecting individuals affected by childhood cancer. In this week's episode, my guest, Rhea Watson, came on to sit and talk about um, her experience with leukemia. She is a pediatric oncology nurse now, but a cancer survivor. She was diagnosed um, her senior year of high school, two weeks before she graduated. So Rhea really walks us through being diagnosed, um, what treatment was like for her. And then we really dove deep into talking about what that means for her life now. And even just handfuls of years later after survivorship, um, what she's still dealing with um, as a cancer survivor. Um, This conversation was really impactful. Rhea and I both yeah, as you'll hear, we got um, pretty tearful a few times just talking about her experience and what it's meant for her. And I'm just so thankful and grateful that she sat down with me and um, opened up and shared her story um, because I know it was hard. It's hard to be vulnerable and kind of go back to that place and talk about all the things that she's went through. But she did it um, and shared her story with us on Lifting the Fog. And I know that um, her story can be so impactful and and helpful for um, not just other females um, going through leukemia like Rhea, but any any adolescent going through this um, journey, if that's even the right word. And we talk about some right and wrong words, I guess, for, for this experience um, throughout the podcast. So that was interesting as well. Um, but I, I can't say enough how much I enjoyed this conversation. I think this is one of our best episodes yet. I'm so thankful Rhea came on and shared her story with us. Um, and if you have any thoughts on this episode or, um, want to connect or share things with Rhea, um, please email us at liftingthefog1 at gmail. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at liftingthefog1. You can message us through those outlets as well because we'd love to hear from you. Um, so can't wait for you guys to, to listen to this episode, to hear what you thought of this episode. And thank you again, Rhea, for, for being a part of Lifting the Fog and sharing your story. Thanks so much. Enjoy, guys. Okay. All right. Well, welcome, Rhea. Today, we are interviewing um, Rhea Watson. She is a cancer survivor. Yeah. I wonder if we'll just start off by, can you start us from kind of day one and getting diagnosed and what was your diagnosis? Yeah. So I would say day one's probably a couple months before diagnosis from when you start feeling sick and all that. But eventually, after so many symptoms, so many doctor visits and ER visits, uh, I was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. So a lot of us just refer to that as ALL. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was diagnosed uh, May 15th, 2009, two weeks before graduating high school. So I actually graduated from my hospital bed, Skyped my twin sister, and she... Oh my Held the computer up. Yeah, I think I got one really blurry picture that shows it, but I'll keep it forever. It's wow. pretty cool. So hold on, back up to when you first started feeling sick and you said that it was lots of doctor's appointments yeah. before you got a diagnosis. Were you ever, like, you, you think maybe a month from the first symptom until you were diagnosed? Is that what you said? 
in that time mm, That's a good question. I'd say it was probably about two or two months or maybe slightly more. So I was in this internship. Uh, a lot of high schools have it. You can use your last period or two, senior year, go intern somewhere, yeah. get a little bit of it. Yeah. field experience. Yeah. So I was in this internship and I missed probably 50% of the days because I felt so, so tired wow. and so sick and there'd be a cold that I just couldn't get over or the flu that I just couldn't get over and having a harder time recovering from yeah. things. And so I missed so many of them and um, they were getting real frustrated. Finally got like an email from them that's like, where have you been? Yeah. Like, you aren't showing up. We're going to have to tell your school, all yeah. these kind of things. And so that was part of it. And then ended up going to the doctor for all those colds and stuff. And unfortunately, she kicks herself a little bit for not looking farther into it. I wasn't one that really went to the doctor much. And then Who, three. Pediatrician? Just a primary care. Yeah. Uh, she takes care of all adults. I actually still see her because like I a don't. family doctor. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Blame her for it. Nobody think it's two percent of kids that get cancer. Nobody thinks that. Yeah, it's fun. that's what's gonna happen. So um, last week I interviewed Dr. Coven. Okay, and he was saying, you know, a, a, a pediatrician could see maybe one yeah. cancer case their whole career. Their whole career. Yeah. And I honestly, she said, I am that one for her. She had not had one prior yeah. to this. Yeah. Um. So at she, all during that time when you were sick. Did you ever think, what is wrong with me? Or did you ever think cancer? Oh, no. Never thought cancer. But I I honestly just equated it to me being like 18. Like, I, I don't I'm know. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, I'm sick. Like, I probably should stop staying up so late. I might be able to yeah. get over this a little bit faster. Like, And that's what the doctor said, too. Yeah. So I, I think I saw her three times in, in three months. Yeah. Um, and she just sent me home with antibiotics every time. And then um, went to prom. I think that was about May 5th. Sure, yeah. And I danced one or two dances. And I was so tired. So exhausted. Wow. And that was the point where I was like, something else is wrong. Why if am I, I so tired? Yeah, why am I so tired? And I couldn't, like, I didn't really have the energy to dance. And it's my senior prom. And I left after two dances, told my date to take me home. And he did. And I went to bed as soon as I got home. What did your I mom think? Well, they were like, oh, well, maybe she just didn't want to go. Because I was saying I wasn't really wanting to go. Yeah. Um. So that I don't think my parents really thought two things about it. Yeah. So my sister had a lot more friends our age. A lot of my friends were a year above me. So none of them went to prom okay. my senior year. Okay. So my sis, since we're identical twins, we tried to have our own separate lives in high school. Yeah. So she had her friends there. So I think when I came home by myself, my parents didn't really think too much of it. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I just went to bed. But then... Gosh, a couple, maybe 10 days later. Well, I was diagnosed the 15th, so maybe not even 10 days later after yeah. prom. I don't remember exactly the do you, date. Do you remember your family doctor saying, like, maybe we should do some blood work? No. So she never said that. I, I did have this really bad lower back pain, but I ended up going to urgent care for it. So she only saw me for the cold symptoms. Sure. She never saw me for anything worse than that. I mm -hmm. had a severe lower back pain. It was Gosh, crippling from what I remember. I don't know if that's my teenage brain or not. 
but it felt like I didn't want to walk. I didn't want to move. Is I tried a, heat packs. It is. Um, when leukemia starts getting packed in your bone marrow, you wow. can have really severe lower back pain. Whoa. So I had that, but didn't tell that doctor that I had had these several colds. So then I end up with a nosebleed the Saturday before I'm diagnosed. Two hours of just bloody nose. Oh, my gosh. And I why told that, them low platelet count. Oh. So, which led to a low red blood cell count because yeah. and hemoglobin because I was losing all my blood. Yeah. Um, so I two hour nosebleed, go to the ER and they're like, oh, honey, this happens all the time. Wow. Don't you worry about it. Nothing's wrong. We'll um, give you some nasal spray. We'll send you home. So that's what they did. No blood work, nothing. But again, I didn't tell the ER doctor that yeah. I had the lower back pain, yeah. that I had all these colds. Yeah. So nobody saw the whole picture yeah. besides me and my family, but no one's thinking cancer. We just no. think these are separate events. Yeah. So then. So how does it all come tied in? So Wednesday, after that Saturday, I went to the ER for a two-hour nosebleed. Wednesday, I um, end up in the nurse's office with a bloody nose. At and school. At school. And it just keeps getting worse. And I remember at one point I was, well, this might be a lot of info for anybody listening. I'm leaning over the toilet in the nurse's office and just letting the blood flow. Oh my gosh. Because the tissues weren't even enough at that point. Like, uh. so at that point I'm like trying to figure out how to get the nurses to come in the bathroom, yeah. but I don't want to really leave the toilet. So yeah. I'm like in oh, this weird and thing. my twin sister, I kid you not, she comes in at that moment in the nurse's office to see if I'm okay. Because mm -hmm. she heard from this person who told this person yeah, who told sure. this person, your sister's in the nurse's office. Yeah. And so she comes to just check, make sure I'm okay. And she's knocking on the bathroom door at the moment that I'm thinking, I really need somebody in here. Yeah. And she, I'm like. It's like those twin spidey senses. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> honestly. like, I know, I know my sister needs you. Yes. It really is the best. And it does happen between us. I don't, that's a side twin note. <laughs> so anyway, she, I, she comes in and sees this and she's like freaking, freaking out. Yeah. And so she gets a nurse before I even have to tell her to go get me yeah. a nurse. Yeah. Call my mom and take me to the ER. And Really long story short, ER slammed with people because it's a crazy thunderstorm outside. Power's out. They're running on generators. Like, absolutely nuts. And the girl with the nosebleed is not a priority. No. So I think I left school around 1, and they, like, end up drawing my blood later, come in a little after midnight, and the doctor looks at my mom and goes, hey, it's either a really bad cold or cancer. We actually don't know. We'll come back later with more information and walks out of that room. I'm not kidding. It was the craziest thing. So, and you, and I remember this. just You're, going, this, right? Like, I just remember my jaw hitting the floor because I'm not one that really hides any feelings. <laughs> like, and how, sorry, how old are you at this 18. moment? 18. 18. Yeah. So, you're not a five year old that's no. like, what's that, mom? Yeah. You're no, very well. I knew, aware. but my first reaction was shock and, well, it's definitely not cancer. Like, it's just like this matter. Yeah. Of, well, it's probably just a really bad cold. Just you and mom in the ER at this time? Yeah, because no one really thought. It's too, and it's late and yeah. why would the whole, yeah. So after this, my mom, like, I feel like she left the room, like, chased the doctor. I don't know. But shortly after a nurse came in and explained a little more, like, 
we got to draw a type and screen. We're going to yeah. give you some blood platelets. Because my hemoglobin was 5.5, five, which was fairly low. I actually just looked these up, by the way. Yeah. On my IU Health to see what my hemoglobin was wow. when I was diagnosed. And what's normal? Um, for females, 12 to 15. Males is a little higher. Okay. So um, a low hemoglobin can mean a lot of things. A right? lot of things. Okay. Um, but I had multiple cell line, what we call cell lines down. So my hemoglobin was low. My white blood, my hemoglobin was low. My white blood cell count was high. My platelets were low. And when you have multiple like cell lines kind of going crazy, yeah, that's, something's up. Yeah, something's wrong. So that was their indication. Like they admitted me, they gave me, I think, two units of blood, one unit of platelets. And my dad said I looked like the crazy girl who just drank like three liters of Mountain Dew because the blood, I was, I had been so tired for so uh. long. And that blood gave me so much energy that at like 4 a.m. when I'm like getting this blood, dad's like, shut up and go to bed. And I'm like, no, dad, I finally have so much energy. Can yeah, we talk? What do you want to do? Yeah. I oh feel so much gosh. better. You poor thing. And so it was actually ended up being a really good night with my dad. And yeah. So they transferred me to um, Simon Cancer Center the next day, get diagnosed with ALL. And do you remember that conversation? So. Did a doctor tell you? No, my parents told me. So so they told your parents by themselves. Which is something I've always thought about. Now I'm an adolescent young adult coordinator here at Riley. Yeah. So this is something that I struggle with because I was very thankful my parents told me. But as an 18-year-old, you legally should hear it first before anybody else. Yeah. So... I struggle with that a lot because I what, le- yeah. like legally I know what's right, but what I wanted was for my loving parents to be the one to tell me. Yeah. Because they started it with, "We are here for you, and we won't leave you." Yeah. No matter what this means. Yeah. And so that that was amazing, and the doctor was in the room and kind of elaborated. I have no clue what he said. But my parents being there with my twin sister, and I'm pretty sure my older brother and sister were there too. I'm not sure if they'd made it at this point, but I for sure know it was my parents and my sister. Yeah. And um, well, and at that point, you don't have a relationship yet with your oncologist. No. Of course, like, you know, throughout treatment, you you establish that. But yeah. This yeah. is some stranger. Yeah. yeah. Telling you that. So. And I had met him maybe 12 hours prior. So yeah, yeah he was a complete yeah. stranger. Your parents are, you know, the loving, trusting people. So I can imagine, especially yeah. at 18, that being who you want to hear that from. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it would depend on your family dynamics. Yeah. Yeah, but, definitely. And maybe parents would want to be supported by a doc- doctor and it be a, yeah. a group setting. But yeah. Everybody different. But I, I remember from the very beginning when they told me that I never thought this was a fight I couldn't win. And I think that's a lot of our teenagers because as a teenager, you always feel invincible. Yeah. So even being told you have cancer doesn't necessarily knock you off that peg. It's what comes later that may knock you down. Yeah. And that's so... So right you, away, you never like Googled survival rates or you oh never gosh, even no. went there. No, my no. grandma and my mom did 
did that. Yeah. <laughs> Ew, that was not on me. No, I just, you know, I've never thought about it from that perspective before, but kids do think they're invincible. Oh, absolutely. Because I had that mindset. So I'll be fine. Yeah. 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 So I had that mindset even when he was like, it's either really bad cold or cancer, peace. Like he was just like, I I thought I was invincible. Like it's definitely yeah. not cancer. And then yeah. like later, even when it was, it's like, well, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's not going to change my yeah. outcome. But I feel like sometimes that can get in the way of like teenagers and realizing how truly sucky this is about to be. Yeah. Like it's the first... I feel like the first week or so, like you're still so healthy. The chemo doesn't really knock you down that much. Yeah. It's when you get into month two and yeah. month three and month four and holy crap, I still have two years left of this. And it's. Yeah. Do you think you fully understood that? And so really quick, um, because some of our listeners might not know. So leukemia, how long is that treatment? For girls, it is, it's supposed to be two years. Most people get delayed and it ends up being about two years, three months, two years, six months. And for boys? It's a year longer. So if... And why? So I don't exactly know. Um, What I've been told is that it leukemia can hide in their testicles. Okay. I don't know that for sure. Yeah. Um, but also just the research showed that an extra year for boys was what was needed. So, you know, um, the, the biology yeah. behind that. Just- yeah. So they're actually going to change it soon. Side oh, okay. note, okay. they will make all Luke's, all ALLs, um, the same amount of treatment, no matter gender. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's and- coming up. Dr. Vic told me that. Wow. Thanks, Dr. Vick. <laughs> insider information. Yeah, insider information. So, um, and then really, so treatment, let's just say, you know, three three years long, and then there are different phases. Yeah. Can you quickly kind of walk us through oh, a brief overview yeah. of that? What's the first phase of leukemia So treatment? first phase is induction. Uh-huh. I didn't know you were going to ask me this question. Let's see. Induction and then... Uh, I don't know. There's lots of phases. Yeah. There's some like Induction, delayed intensification, consolidation. consolidation. Yeah. Interim maintenance. And then you get to maintenance, I think. And maintenance would be the bulk of your treatment. Yeah. So and that's where you're coming in outpatient. You're yep. in chemo once a month. Yep. Um, seeing your oncologist. So that's, that's a piece. I'm so glad you said that you get in chemo once a month. This is where a lot of people don't, um, associate chemo every day you're taking oral you're chemo. taking oral chemo yeah so yeah. you still don't feel good we had to stop for an overhead hospital announcement yeah. but um so you're right and so even when a child is in maintenance phase they're coming into clinic and getting chemo infused once monthly but Correct. they're still taking daily chemo so yeah. they still can so feel you like da- yeah so you have daily 6mp um I didn't feel like that one really made me feel that crappy, but the methotrexate once a week, I I took 18 pills every Tuesday. You take a make, methotrexate pill once a week? Yeah. Yeah. So mine was Tuesdays because that was my clinic day. So they typically have you take it on your clinic days. And then if you get a spinal tap, you don't take oral because you're getting methotrexate in the back, in oh. your spine. So, um, 
Yeah, methotrexate is a nasty beast. Yeah, and I didn't know that you guys took that orally. Yeah, we have some teenagers, it's very hard to get them to take it because it's oh, so Disgusting. nauseating. Oh. Yeah, it's so... Like going down or just it makes you feel... It nauseous. just makes you feel nauseous. Yeah. It makes you feel just terrible. So I succeeded taking it because I would take a Zofran, a Finagran, my methotrexate pills, and I would go to bed. Yeah. So I basically slept through the heightened part of the nausea. So that was my secret. I don't know what most people do. Because you can take it any time that day. Nobody cares when you take it, if you take it. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. And then, you, you know, you're not having to, like, yeah. but deal with the I, all day. Because I was 18, I graduated high school, I didn't have to worry about school. I mean, I took college. I never missed any. I, that August, enrolled in online classes, and I was doing that. But nobody cares when you do an online class as long as you do it. Yeah. So that... I I feel for our kids that have to go to school yeah. because anytime I took that methotrexate, I was useless the next day. Yeah. And I, I have a weak stomach anyway, so that probably pay, plays a little piece yeah. of it. But, I mean, I, I had a schedule at home yeah. that I would go to bed. I mean, I always stayed up pretty late, let's be honest. I was still a teenager, yeah. so I'd go to bed somewhere around midnight. Yeah. I slept until probably 10, 11, yeah. watched um, Ellen show, then some <laughs> Rachel Ray, a little bit of, like, reruns during yeah. the day, yeah. and then, like, Rachel Ray was on again for her talk <laughs> show. So I, I learned how to cook really well. That's but, funny. yeah, I just had this, and then if I needed a nap, I'd take a nap, and then I would, I mean, do it all over again. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah, I definitely, I feel for our kids, too, that get diagnosed this time of year. Like, oh, mid, yeah. sem mid the semester. And our high school kids. They're yeah. counting credits. Um, what if, you know, if it's the last semester of their junior year or yep. first semester of their senior year. So, now that the time to make things up, is there's a smaller window. So much smaller. And this, you know, the time in the middle of the semester when it's like, I've already done half of the work. So yeah. now what's going to happen? Yeah. Because when you get diagnosed, you're going to be out of commission for a, a while. For a while. The beginning of a leukemia treatment's pretty intense. Some yeah. of our kids have to be hospitalized for 30 days. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. So I, I, all my teachers were wonderful. None of them made me make up finals. So I didn't take a single final. Because you had said you got diagnosed two weeks before graduation. Correct. Wow. So they just kind of gave you that cumulative grade. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Were you worried? Do you remember being worried about oh, that? Oh, no. I had straight A's. So, I mean, I probably yeah. had a B in history because I always did. But, yeah. like, math and all of that, like, yeah. I was not worried about it at all. Yeah. I'm like, if they, even if they gave me a bad grade on my finals, I think I still would have had A's in my classes. Because they gave out, like, extra credit opportunities. And, yeah. I mean, not saying I was a nerd, but I definitely... You were a good student. Yeah. Yeah. I checked off every box they gave me to check off. Yeah. Yeah. So, thinking about, you know, that the whole two years or longer that you were yeah. on treatment, what was, like, you know, getting your port access or spinal taps or just having to sit in the infusion room for a long hours? Do you remember feeling like this is the worst? So... Because I see, I see all of our kids get anxiety about different things. Yeah. Some really hate getting their port access. Yeah. Some dread the spinal tap. I mean, oh, they, yeah. It all so, sucks, I'm sure. So I started treatment at 
Simon Cancer Center. Okay. So I mentioned that earlier. Started there. That's the adult hospital. When they asked me where I wanted to go, I said, I'm 18. I'm going here. Yeah. So I started there. And to then Riley I, Hospital. Yeah. And then I transferred um, to Riley Children's Hospital. Uh, probably two months into treatment. I was diagnosed in May. Probably transferred mid-July. Mm-hmm. Um, here to Riley. And one, it's funny that you ask about spinal taps. Because that was my biggest I'm going to Riley um, piece of information I got. So I was at Simon Cancer Center. They offered me um, to go straight to transplant, which we don't typically do uh, for our kids. We treat them with chemo for two or three years. stem cell transplant? Yeah, which is is crazy to you because you know our protocol here. So, yeah, adult world. So that's what, if I I got... Diagnosed with leukemia, get a stem cell transplant. Yeah, right away, or it'd be. A I think it depends on your doctor. My doctor was a transplant doctor Whoa. just right out of the gate, so that's what he was treating me for. So knowing what I know now, it is crazy, but I didn't know that at the yeah. time. Yeah. So um, I got some second and third opinions because my uh-huh. research grandma and mom were telling me that's <laughs> not what they were seeing. Your WebMD, yeah, my at WebMD home. <laughs> doctors at home were telling me that's not what they were seeing, and so my Dad was like, yeah, go ahead and get some second opinions. So I did. I got two opinions. Um, so a second and third. And my third opinion was Dr. Vic here um, at Riley. And I had had a terrible spinal tap at Experience. IU Simon Cancer Center. So they have fellows and residents and all this. And I had agreed to let one of the fellows do my procedure, but she didn't get it. And they don't sedate you for your procedures. So then the other fellow tried, and she didn't get it. And then the doctor tried in the room, and actually he didn't get it. So they had to take me to fluoroscopy and have them try to get it. And I ended up with this terrible headache for, like, seven days. Every time I sat up, I would throw up. And just, like, this miserable experience that during the procedure was painful. It was just awful. Yeah. And so... When I came here, Dr. Vic was like, yeah, and, and we'll, like, sedate you for your procedures. And I was like, hold sold. on, back up. What'd you say? <laughs> yeah, uh, sold. So um, I did think about it a little bit more, kind of weighed my options, yeah. um, and did end up coming here to Riley. How many so, spinal taps would you get? You get about 24, and I think. What What is happening and when you, when you get a spinal tap and what's the purpose of it? Yeah. So we, uh, our patients get, yeah, we, I guess I am part of the, we, so we (laughs) get spinal taps. Um, so they, they use this needle, go into your spine and take out fluid. So they test this fluid to make sure that no leukemia cells are present. Most of the time, leukemia cells don't cross that blood brain barrier, but when they do, it's not good. So most people don't have leukemia in their spinal fluid, but what we do is we check that spinal fluid and we give prophylactic doses of methotrexate to make sure that you don't get it in your spine. So Whoa. sometimes reoccurrence, like so it's I say most of the, the time. Bone or into the stuff in between? Into the stuff in between. Okay. So the, the needle like goes into the spinal fluid. So what we call cerebrospinal fluid, CSF. So you go into the spine to collect that fluid and you're getting fluid from what goes around the brain, what goes down your spine. It's like clear fluid, like very clear fluid Whoa. if it's good fluid. Yeah. Um, 
and it just comes out that needle and then the needle you just hook on that methotrexate and push it in and yeah it just goes into so this so spinal fluid whoever's doing that procedure is having to get the needle in between like discs. yeah like perfect yeah how do you like, even do that how do you I even know do you do those procedures no no i don't do those procedures i hold the kids during the procedures okay. But I don't NPs, do. can they? Yeah, so yes. nurse practitioners can do it and doctors can do it and fellows and all that. Um, most of our kids are done by nurse practitioners. Our nurse practitioners are like second to none. Yeah. They're the best. Yeah. And they make it look so easy, but it is nurse that. Nurse practitioners yeah. in my book are practically <laughs> doctors. Yes. And it, like, it is that like ease that it's like it, it looks so easy, but like you said, it is that complicated. Yeah. Like, so is positioning hit. of the patient an issue? Yeah. Or, or I, I being the holder, like to think I'm half the job, but yeah. that might just be me wanting to say that. But no, I think it matters that like you need the kit. We do all of our sitting up. So if you're listening from an outside hospital and you do yours laying down, I can't help you. Yeah. But, <laughs> but we do all of our sitting up because they say that they can open up the spine a little bit more that way. Uh-huh. So if our kid is, say we have a little, I don't know, eight-year-old yeah. boy who's like very, very skinny little boy. Yeah. So we would put a pillow on their stomach, make them sit Indian style so that when they go forward, like if you... I don't know if you're doing this with me, but I'm doing this right now. Like, yeah. you lean forward, you can, like, feel your spine open up. Yeah. And, like, your lower back. Yeah. And so that's helpful. So they, like, yeah. they feel to go between L4 and L5 and, like, hit that little bitty space, and they just do it. It's, like, magical. Yeah. And crazy. Yeah. And so are you, like, local anesthesia? Anesthesia, so, are you numb right there or what? So we do put amla cream on our kids, which is a numbing cream. But we use propofol now, which is such a, like, high sedative that yeah. even if we didn't put the cream on, they probably wouldn't feel it. Like um, a, a pill sedative? No, no. Uh, propofol, they get what looks like milk. A lot of our kids call it milk yeah. in their, like pick central line port well, okay. whatever so if i were like i've had an epidural before is yeah it the same feeling yes. in the back oh yeah yeah so i would it's say like so a big bee sting yes yeah pretty yeah. uncomfortable yeah but if you're really you good can, at it needle, it can be just big you think like, no i don't no <laughs> no because the needle you're talking about i think was the same size they used at the adult hospital and Probably. when i saw that my jaw went to the floor and i was like that's going in me you gotta be kidding that's going yeah. to me so, but at, I never saw it at the, it. <laughs> at the children's hospital, we have sizes. So we have inch okay. and a half needles, two oh, okay. and a half, okay. three and a half inches. So like the inch and a half we use for little kids. And then like two yeah. and a half is like what most people get. So it's not that big yeah. of a needle. I mean, of course, when you're looking at it and you're the kid, it looks like it's yeah. 12 inches, but. And then you, how long do you hang out in the recovery room after you? So typically we have kids lay flat for 30 minutes um, because that allows the methotrexate to kind of like settle in. I don't know a better way to put that. That's kind of like the basic way. And then uh, some of our kids though, we have to have them lay for 60 minutes and we give them a caffeine bolus because of the potential for headaches. So caffeine actually can offset the headache. So. so I was talking to one of our coordinators, our neuro-oncology coordinator, and yeah. I was asking about all the different protocols for, for brain tumors, and I was asking about, like, why our kids can get infusions of chemo 
uh-huh. outpatient and why they have to go inpatient. And she was um, talking to me about when they're inpatient and how, I don't know, I guess intense that chemo is yeah. so that they, so they get it and then they flush it out quickly. Yeah. Okay. I was asking Dr. Coven this on my last <laughs> podcast. And when I, when I said like, so, the, and then do you like push a bunch of fluids to get it out of their system? He kind of looked at me like I was crazy. So, so does that happen? Is, <laughs> he is probably that didn't happening? understand what you were saying. So we give, um, high dose. It doesn't typically happen outpatient. Okay. So I take that back. We give cytoxin outpatient, which we we flood them with fluids for two hours prior, yeah. give the Cytox over 30 to 60 minutes, and then we flood them with fo- fluids four to six hours post. So it's essentially the same thing where you're flooding them, like you're hydrating them so well for this chemo, and then you really hydrate them post. So we can give Cytox outpatient Methotrexate, on the other hand, we give inpatient um, because that is what causes mucositis that I think a couple weeks ago, one yeah. of your other yeah. um, podcasters yes. had had mentioned she had yeah. really bad mucositis. So yeah. methotrexate is typically what causes that. Um, some people, it doesn't matter how much fluid you give them, you can't get that methotrexate out fast enough to prevent that mucositis. Yeah. It's just bad luck. But yes, inpatient, they get... Um, they have to be so hydrated before they can even get their methotrexate, meet a couple like urine guidelines, yeah. get their methotrexate over 24 hours, and then it runs the whole time for 24 hours, and then they get fluids, 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 fluids until they clear that methotrexate. So, yeah, I think. But it also makes sense that everybody reacts to different medicines differently. So it makes sense that some kids it would cause mucositis and sometimes it wouldn't. Yeah. It's just so crazy. The amount of different chemotherapy drugs that they get and just. Well, and it's changed even in the last. I finished treatment in 2011. And even in the last math, eight years, it's. it's changed. I never went inpatient for my methotrexate. They gave it to you outpatient, hydrated you just kind of like a Cytox. Like an oral methotrexate? No, it would be IV. Um, but they hydrated you just like... Oh, you, yeah, sorry. You yeah, so yeah. Um, that was before you hit maintenance. You get IV methotrexate before yeah. you take the pill version of it. So I would get the IV methotrexate, get some fluids, and then... See ya. And so, and how cra- like crappy would you feel afterwards? Oh, I remember feeling pretty crappy just like all the time. Yeah. But that's what's crazy. Like, you have this so much support right there in the beginning because like cancer sucks and everybody knows that. Yeah. But then it like dwindles. And I think it's with most grief. Like, sorry, we had to pause for a second, but <laughs> <laughs> another, another pause. Anyway, uh, life at a hospital. Yeah. So, um, so, Everyone really comes at the beginning and you get like, I think I was telling you earlier, I had over 300 people visit me in the first 17 days. I actually kept a log at the hospital and had people sign in. Over 300 people came in that 17 days, but then several months into it, like who's there for me? Mm -hmm. My family was, and I did have a couple friends that still like wanted to be in my life, but if I was sick, yeah, it was very inconvenient for them. Yeah, like what do you mean you can't go to the movies? Well, I don't know if I'm going to throw up in the next two hours, so I don't really want to go out to a movie. Yeah, or I'm 
immune compromised and yeah. I probably shouldn't be. Probably shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. That thought never crossed my mind. It probably should have crossed my mind far probably more. Probably more your mom's. Probably more my mom's. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I'm I was fine. not concerned about that yeah. at all. Yeah. But thankfully it did cross my mom's mind a lot because I only ended up in the hospital for fever wow. and low counts yeah. once. Wow. I did have fevers multiple times, but yeah. Low counts didn't happen in conjunction. Yeah. And that's what will put you in the hospital. So, Do you remember? So I think that that's common that people would say any traumatic. Anything. Any traumatic yeah. moment in in your life that, that people s- sometimes hopefully feel like a surge of support in the beginning and then that dissipates over time. You yeah. Know, people go back to their normal quote unquote life and yeah. you're still stuck dealing with, Everything. in your case, cancer. So yeah. Do you remember like a a moment when you felt that ha- starting to happen? Yeah, I actually think it would have been mid August. So you're so you're diagnosed in May. Three months later. Yeah. Um, I actually uh, put my wig on mm-hmm. at that point, mm-hmm. and so the this all happened in like the same week. So I had this cat for years and years and years. She ran away. Okay. Same week, my boyfriend <clears throat> did not like the fact that I would take my wig off in front of him when he came over. Yeah, that was whoa crazy. My parents never liked him, so <laughs> like choices I made in high school are not a lot that I'm proud of. So let's just <laughs> well, say, I like, no, this is not like us. the best guy yeah. you could. Yeah. We met on spring break. <laughs> <laughs> So that just tells you, like, everything you probably need to know about him. So anyway, like, he left me. One of my friends that I used to hang out with, she didn't like that I was so sick. And and I wasn't giving her credit for everything she was doing for me. And, like, bracelets and fundraising and things like this. And it's like, I, at 18, pro- Knowing what I know now, I probably should have been far more thankful for it. But as an 18-year-old dealing with cancer and losing my hair and losing my boyfriend and losing my cat and not knowing how to process emotion, I didn't thank her for any of that. And she left. Yeah. So there were just so many things that happened in one week in August that I was done. I think I reached the point of I'm no longer invincible. Yeah. This is the worst situation I could have imagined my life being at August when I should be going to college. Yeah. I thought I was going to leave my parents' house and stay in a dorm. I couldn't do that. Like, I, everything came crashing down when I realized life wasn't going to go on anymore. Like, and I don't mean go on as I wasn't going to be here. Like, go on as in, like, what every freshman in college wants to do. Like, not be with their parents, go out and party and go like be independent. And like, none of that was happening for me. Yeah. And so that was expectation you had had for that had led up to that moment was just gone. Completely changed friend dynamic, relationship dynamic, dynamic with your parents and how much you depended on them. Yeah. Cause I had jobs starting when I was a freshman in In high school. Yeah. I had jobs to support me buying anything I wanted. I would buy groceries for myself if it was some extra I wanted. And like, I didn't have my job anymore. And there was, it was just so much. And I don't deal with change well. 
So you can just imagine how Every I'm just like. Every aspect of your life just changed. All of it. And yeah. my twin sister and I in high school, like I said, we were just separate people. Mm-hmm. We wanted to, we're identical. We wanted to create our own identity. Yeah. And she was probably the only one that was like 100% there for me. Yeah. And that, I can't imagine life without her. Like, I feel like I want to cry right now because like she was there and, and she never made me feel like I was different. Yeah. Like I, she never, (laughs) we joked about my hair loss, but it was like when she knew I needed it. Yeah. Because she is my twin. She could tell when it's like, don't talk about being bald today or yeah. let's make a joke today. Like, Yeah. I wonder if she could see herself in you at all or or just like that strong we are connection so that you have. protective of each other Yeah, that I, like any scenario I can put us through, I would 100% take the sickness for her. Yeah. And never let her go through it. Yeah. And it's, she was just like... That one person that I'm so thankful, like God knew what he was doing when he gave me her. And that's what I'm so thankful for because I can't imagine making it through nearly three years of treatment without her. Mm-hmm. She stayed up late. We watched Whose Line Is It Anyway and laughed our butts off so many nights. And like I just desperately, my soul needed that. Yeah. Because there were so many times like... I didn't want to tell my parents what was going on. They had enough on their plate. Like I, I didn't even want to get sick in front of them half the time because I didn't want them to be like, oh, she's feeling really bad today. Like I would try to keep it. And my mom's one of those people that if you gag, she gags. And it was really more annoying than (laughs) anything. Like, I don't want to throw up in front of you, mom, because then we'll both be throwing up and no one needs that. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just this. It's like your sister was your person you could be 100% authentically you in front of. And that has to be a total relief. Because it sounds like She had no expectations from me. Yeah. And everybody else, you're like, I don't want to worry you. No. Or, yeah. And and it sounds like, too, like you literally lost relationships because they couldn't handle it. But your exactly. sister showed you, I can handle it yeah. and I want to and you can just be. Yeah. Yeah. And I learned, unfortunately, a lot of lessons. And maybe with me still being young and being 28, it'll change eventually when I'm older and wiser. But I don't trust people anymore. Yeah. I don't trust them. And it takes a lot for me to trust you like. Yeah. Not you and gen- not, yes. not you as no, you. Yeah. <laughs> like, like people in general. Yeah. So, but it's like, I, I'll i be your friend and we can be civil. But for me to sit down and like open up, truly trust you with what's going on in my life currently, like I, I can't do that. I have one person I do that with and that's my twin sister. And I'm true after five years of marriage, I'm trying to put that into my marriage because it's hurting us. Yeah. And so it's like, I have got to open up to more people, but I am so afraid they'll leave me. Do you feel like you feel like you were abandoned by people that should have loved Absolutely. you? Absolutely. During the hardest time of your life. So you're yeah. afraid that'll happen again. Yeah. And like, I don't want to, I don't want to ever feel that out of control again. Yeah. Because I had so many plans for my life and not one of them was working and everything was spinning out of my control. So I don't want people that close to me anymore because if something happens to them or me, I'll lose control again. 
Yeah. And that's just, like, the biggest piece of, I don't know, unfortunate lesson I learned. Yeah. So I don't know. But I don't know. Like, I'm sure other people in different traumatic situations can come up with the same feelings. But it's tough. Do you talk to anybody about it? Yeah. So I actually went to counseling about a year after finishing treatment Mm -hmm. because I just felt so angry and I didn't know why. So I went to counseling and I like kind of processed it, but gosh, I was still 20. Yeah. 21 at that time. And I just didn't really process it well. Like I was like, yeah, I hate God and like all these other things. And like, I don't trust people, blah, blah, blah. And then I just like, that was it. Like I never worked through it. I just like word vomit and then we're done. Yeah. And so recently I've felt that I'd never dealt with it. Yeah. So I've been seeing a counselor that I kind of associated with my church, um, who kind of helps with traumatic, uh, like dealing with trauma. So it's been very helpful because I have realized things that I never realized before that control was such an issue for me. Yeah. And I didn't, cancer unfortunately showed me that I needed it and yeah, I don't know how to give it up now. Yeah. (laughs) But, and it's amazing that like you have the wherewithal to know, to connect those dots because I do think and see a lot in our clinic and serving the families that we do that People aren't even able, especially on treatment, because you are literally in survival mode. Absolutely. That you're not able to connect the dots. Yeah. Like, I feel angry because of this. Yeah. I'm pushing people out because of this or even into survivorship, being able to connect the dots. So how do you think that you were able to say, oh, I think this is because of that and I need to go talk to somebody? I think I had an advantage because of working in the unit I was treated on. Yeah. So there was multiple times that I would feel triggered. Um, Like when a teenager came in and was in the process of losing their hair. When a kid is full on bald, it doesn't bother me. When they start losing their hair, it is a complete trigger for me. And so I had to figure out how to keep my job and keep doing it well. And I couldn't do that Yeah, being in the headspace I was in. And so just to back up a little bit, you are a nurse. Yes. In a hematology oncology clinic and in the hematology oncology clinic that you were treated at. Yeah. I actually work closely with my nurse practitioner and my doctor and some of the nurses that took care of me. Yeah. They couldn't get rid of me. (laughs) That's what I say. So was that always your dream to be a nurse? No, no, no. How, do I, how many times do I say no? I didn't like... <laughs> the answer is no. The answer is no. Um, I hated blood. I just like... And it. no one in my family is a nurse. It honestly just never was a career path I put two seconds of thought towards. Yeah. And I... My mom's an accountant and I'm really good at math. And mm-hmm. I just thought, okay, let's just do business management with a minor in accounting or something. And yeah. so that's actually what I was enrolled to take at IUPUI that first semester. I had enrolled before I was diagnosed. Yeah. Um, I think it was like a month before or something. So I was already enrolled in 
a separate degree program. And it actually took the full two years of treatment for me to realize that business wasn't where I wanted to be. So I went to college for six years just to get a four-year degree, but (laughs) I'm here now, so that's great. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this wasn't anything I ever, ever thought about doing. So so you're a nurse in the clinic that you were treated in, Mm -hmm. and that was something I wanted to talk to you about, and you obviously, um, I had to to have you kind of back up and share that background with everybody, but that was something that I was wondering about before you know, we talked is I, I can't imagine being in this place in this clinic and not being triggered by certain things or, or conversations or seeing kids at certain phases that make you kind of put your face on theirs maybe and and remember what that was like for you. So you, you were saying like, as you know, when you're watching sometimes patients lose their hair, that's a trigger. Oh yeah. That's probably my biggest trigger. Still, Still? Yeah. Yeah, there was a situation. I was in the access room where we access patients. Yeah. And um, this little girl comes in and she had just lost her hair. And child life specialist is being so nice, brings in this American Girl doll or whatever doll it was that's bald. And I could not hold myself together, walked out of the room, and I tried to not make a scene, just kind of like excused myself from the room. And I had to go to the break room. I asked someone else to access the kid. I couldn't do it. And that was my last breaking point before I realized I've got to talk to somebody or I can't stay here. And I refuse to leave. This is where I need to be. This is why I feel like I went through it all. Mm -hmm. Like there's no... And maybe that's me having to justify three years of cancer and chemo and all that. But, like, I have to be here. Mm -hmm. This is so much purpose and fulfillment in my life. And, yes, it is a hard job. And, yes, losing kids sucks. And, like, I wish I could say a slew of other words to describe how bad it is to lose a kid. But this is a podcast. and (laughs) Free reigns. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no bleeping here. (laughs) Yeah. But it's like, I have to be here. And I just, I have to figure out a way to be here. Yeah. How long ago was that incident with the American Girl doll? Honestly, I think it was in May. Wow. Yeah. Just this year. Did you tell fellow nurses around you like that that was happening? Because you said also that you don't like to like. No, I don't. I didn't. I... Um, so one nurse, I think she gets me a little bit more than most people. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think she knew what was happening and she happily stepped in and accessed that kid for me. Um, and she was like, you, you need to walk and just come back when you can. Yeah. And she didn't even ask questions. And that's what I appreciated so much about her. She was just like, go, it's fine. We get it. And just come back when you're ready. Yeah. And so I think there are a few people who get that there will just always be triggers. And I, and I appreciate those people, Yeah. but I would like to have those triggers be less. Yeah. Obviously. And, and maybe in talking with somebody, you'll figure out ways to cope with that when that starts to hit like yeah. what you can do. Yeah. She, gosh, back in June, I was talking to her and she was like, 
yeah, I just want you to sit down and write all the feelings you have about when you lost your hair. And I kid you not, I have yet to do that. Because, because I don't to want do to. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm terrified. Yeah. Because I have repressed those memories. Like, it sounds so like, really, she's still doing this? It's 10 years later. Stop. But I. But it's easier to probably push it totally out yeah. and down. It's far easier for me. Yeah. Because if you have to sit there and write it out, you almost are like reliving it. Yeah. And I don't want to be that vulnerable. Yeah. I have lived my whole life to make sure I'm not that vulnerable. Yeah. And to ask me to sit down and do that is like do you think terrifying. do you think losing your hair is because I think my thought and obviously I've never had to deal with it is that it's like that image of beauty is like gone and part of your identity or is it that yes. you feel like you feel totally vulnerable because I okay. can also imagine it it's, feels like you're Total loss yeah. of control, total vulnerability. It's all of it. And I think you nailed it on the head when you said both of those. It's I'm 18 and that is a symbol of beauty. I'm going to college and now I'm going to be for everyone's going to meet me as the bald girl with cancer. Yeah. And it, it's also just this matter of like losing sense of control, vulnerability and now everyone else knows I'm sick. Yeah. I could hide it and no one needed to know about it until I lost my hair. Yeah. And that's like my sense of control. Like I made sure to shave my head before cancer could take my hair from me, but I still had these fuzzies. And I remember being in the shower and like putting my hands on my head to like kind of wa- wipe the water off and hair just being all over my hands. Yeah. I mean, I like feel like I'm in that moment right now. Just like, yeah, I can see it. And it was, I think I screamed because my mom came in the bathroom, Mm -hmm. but it was just that moment of this is real. Yeah. Like I, I tried so hard to convince myself, like this is a nightmare. And I'm going to wake up from it. And I'm going to wake up from it. And then you don't. And then it just gets, worse. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why losing my hair was so hard. And I listened to Jess's podcast and she said that was one of the hardest things. And I, I was nearly in tears just listening to her podcast because I felt that so deeply because now I cannot hide. Yeah. And that's what was so just Lost it all. Yeah. And even from her, I think I knew, always knew that losing, you know, your hair for our girls especially was something that we grossly underestimate just in our clinic and to how to support them. But I don't, for some reason with her, I thought, oh, and I, I think she doesn't care as much. Yeah. And in that moment when she broke down, I was even shocked. Yeah. And I. And I think people would probably say the same about when I was going through treatment because yeah. I actually Rhea's okay. tough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sucks, Rhea's tough. She'll like fine. she'll be fine. And I actually thought I looked pretty good bald. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Like I was terrified. I was going to be that person with like the weird cone head that <laughs> actually just hides under this thick hair. Yeah. But I had a nicely shaped head and I was so like, like, I okay. actually pull it off really yeah. well. 
And um, so there, that's what I told people. Yeah. And that's where I left it. And not one person besides my mom who probably heard me scream in the bathroom, like, really knew. What did she do? How much it sucked. Because I have a hard time. Oh, she just straight up cried. Yeah. We both. I just think, I'm, like, literally just got out of the shower, like, haven't even put clothes on yet. And I'm just, like, and she's hands in front crying. of my face, staring at the hair. And she's crying. I'm yeah. crying. And I honestly don't know what happened after yeah. that. I, I just, know. and I, I can't, I don't know. My, I mean, my, I have two kids. They've never had to go through any, anything like this, but when they hurt, I hurt. Yes. So I just can't even imagine your mom listening to you screaming and yeah. holding your hair and what's going through her mind. And then her probably trying to think, I need to hold it together Yeah. because Rhea needs to see me holding it together. Yeah. What is, the, what is the, had, what's the parent-child relationship like throughout all of this? I think it's so different for teenagers. And maybe it's not. Maybe it's the same for younger kids and for teenagers. Because mm-hmm. younger kids probably don't know how to articulate what they're feeling. Yeah. Um, so they just scream. Yeah. And um, teenagers, I think we know exactly how to tell you. But we don't want to burden you. Yeah. And that's the – my parents – they never told me how much money they were paying, but they were hardcore fundraising. So I can put two and two together. I know that we have so many bills we can't pay and we got to fundraise. Yeah. And so like, I'm not, I'm not going to be the one that adds more to their plate. Like yeah. you already have a kid with cancer. It's already hard enough. You have like, you had all these supports in the beginning and I saw my supports were leaving. My parents' supports were leaving as well. Yeah. It's not different just because you get older. Yeah. In fact, it's probably yeah. you probably have less support because you don't have your schoolmates behind you or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, I yeah. Don't, I'm probably making that up. But anyway, so it's just like you were very aware that they were struggling. Yes, even though they didn't tell me. Yeah, and that like my parents would never be the one that's like, do you know how much you cost us this month? Like yeah. they would never, but never say that. But I knew that, and I could tell my parents were hurting. Because they were a religious family and I saw my parents doing more and more Bible studies and more and more prayer time. And so you don't necessarily hear that they're hurting, but you can see that they're hurting. And so as a teenager, I, I am not going to add on to that to tell you that I'm sick or I'm depressed or I need help. Like I, yeah, I'll take care of myself and you Take care of you. I don't yeah. know. So you, would you say it's, it would be fair to say that you felt guilt? Yeah. I, yeah. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't use that word to my parents. I yeah. still to this day, I don't know if I would say that exactly. Like I just wanted to help. Mm-hmm. And that was my way of helping mm-hmm. was to not burden them any further. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if that even makes sense. Yeah. No, I've heard our palliative care doctors. One actually did a podcast that I listened to, and he talked about the parent-patient relationship and how each are trying to protect one another. Absolutely. In, in different ways. And that sometimes he just wants to say to them, you guys Stop. are experiencing the same yes. things. Just share. Yes. Yeah. And don't, you know, do this together. Yeah. Um, but I and imagine. And I do kind of wish... I would have 
talk to my parents more. Yeah. Like, we grew so close in that scenario, and, like, nothing I would have said could have made it any yeah. better. But, yeah. like, maybe had we sat down one one time and just been like, this sucks. Let's talk about it. Yeah. But we just never did. My dad journaled. My mom journaled. I just kind of listened to really sad music and yeah. cried. Yeah. And like, But we all did it in our yeah. own corner, in our own quiet space. Because you didn't want so to be bringing the other one down. Yeah. When really, maybe you could have bonded we and might have supported been able each to other. help each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so... Because I dealt with... I mean, gosh, there were so many nights that I just cried for hours in my bed because it the weight of going through cancer and the weight of doing it on your own yeah. was so much to handle that, like, I just dealt with it all, like, on my own. And yeah. I should have talked to somebody. Yeah. And as a teenager, you don't want to talk to your parents. So, like, I wish yeah, I would have done. Yeah, you already don't want to talk to No, your you parents. already don't want to talk to them. Like, I wish I would have found the counselor I found earlier. Not the one I have now. Yeah. She's what I need now. Yes. I don't need her yeah. any earlier. Because yeah. I almost feel like you need to process Because you're grief. talking about different stuff now than you would have. In, yeah. In the because I didn't it. know it was control until now. Yeah. Because I can see the same pattern in so many things in my life. So yes. I can look back and say, oh, it's control. Yes. Whereas I didn't know that back then. So talking to a counselor wouldn't have brought up these issues that I yeah. have now. Yeah. But it would have been nice to talk to someone who did understand. So I suggest not any counselor. Yeah. <laughs> a trauma counselor. Yeah. So someone doesn't need to go through cancer to understand what you're going through. They just need to have gone through a trauma. And that's something that I didn't fully grasp at the time. I kept thinking, you keep, people keep saying to me, oh, I get it. You don't effing get it. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's what I wanted to scream so loud. Like, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. It'll get better. I hope you feel better. You don't understand. Cancer is so long and chemo so long. Like, I hope you feel better. Is something that's going to apply to me in three years. Yeah. Not now. That's like a that's like a wasted words on me right now because yes. that's not even it's like, okay, thanks. Any you that shows that how much you don't get it. Yes. Yeah. And now I don't trust you anymore. Yeah. And now I'm not gonna talk to you because yeah. whatever I tell you, you're gonna betray me with anyway. Like it's and in a whole cycle of just me proving myself right and like maybe I'm not right. Yeah. But so many people proved my thinking right. Yeah. That I'm now stuck in this cycle that I'm trying to break free of. And I I know that you know some of what I do in our clinic is like reaching out to the community and trying to get communities to better understand and support. And I used to, I remember the first time I ever heard a teacher tell me or a counselor, oh, I had cancer, so I get it. And I remember naively <laughs> thinking, oh, great, they're going to be super. And then with time learning that you could have 10 Yep. girls with leukemia that are all 16 yeah. and they are going to experience this so differently yeah. because of how their body handles treatment, their family dynamics. Oh, family past dynamics. Trauma, class, yeah. Past trauma, their yeah. support system. I mean, yeah. everybody handles this so different. Yeah. So to and say that's something, I understand, yeah. 
you don't understand. You don't get it. And that's something like I don't tell everybody in clinic my story. I yeah. pick and choose because I don't trust people and not everyone cares. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I do tell the few and far between. And the ones I do tell, I make sure to tell them what I experienced is not what you will experience. I was not in school. I was in college. I had online classes. I didn't have to go. Like, um, like are, when you're saying that, do you mean as you're talking to pa- patients or staff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Sharing. so patients. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't tell most patients, or I try not to. Sometimes I'll you don't wait. walk into a room and say, "Hi, I'm your nurse Ria, and I'm I'm a cancer survivor." Yeah. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> no, uh, there is one nurse practitioner that loves to tell my story, so she does. That's but funny. no, I don't typically do that. And when the nurse practitioner says it, I'm always like, yes, I had cancer. If you have questions, you can ask me. Yeah. Like I am like, are you like, that's also kind of my story to share. Yeah. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. It does open the door that like, I didn't have to be the awkward one. That's like, True. I had cancer. And True. so like, it's fine. It really doesn't bother me. And then they know if they do have questions, I am there. Cause I've probably done that to you. I probably have. I don't remember you ever doing it. So that's good. Yeah. But also, but know. everybody does have everybody knows that you were, you know, that you had leukemia yeah. and you're a survivor and now you're in the same oncology clinic that you were treated in. Yeah. So I yeah. think everybody And treatment's it's different. So that's what I tell people. Share, like, but yeah. if I'm sharing my story with a kid, it's all fine and dandy, but my story is not your story. Yeah. Yeah. And my cancer could not have sucked as bad. I mean, it all, it all sucks. Please don't hear me like yeah. that. But there are some situations that people just handle side effects and yeah. cancer and they end up in the PICU and they end up with a loss of limb. Like there are so many yeah. scenarios that cancer can take you down. That's just a crappy road in general. Like yeah. you can have far more physical side effects and maybe you handle it all emotionally and don't have those emotional side effects. Yeah. Or your late term effects are more pronounced and lasting longer. Absolutely. Than yeah. There's like a million different ways cancer can go. So I am here and I will share my story and I will sit and talk with you if you need me and I will answer questions to the best of my ability. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that my story is your story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do think it is such a gift for our clinic that that you're in it. Because it's very nice. I don't I know think, how to take compliments that yeah, well. I'm like getting tearful like saying this. But I just think um in our clinic and just in the hospital setting in general, um, everybody can just get in their mode of like, it's another day, yeah. and another patient. And it takes like people like you to bring another level of compassion to families. I appreciate that. That need it. Like, yeah. Yeah. I can't even finish. There's, oh, <laughs> you're so sweet. I, I do love, love my job. And unfortunately, in clinic, we are very busy, and it's very hard to sit yeah. with patients. But there are, I can think of two instances off the top of my head that we were busy, and people needed that room, and yeah. I, that kid needed me. Yeah. That kid needed me more than the next patient needed that room. Yeah. And that's how, yeah. not that that next patient wasn't important, but another 15 minutes in the room with that kid was exactly what they needed. Yeah. And I had... I had to do it. And I feel like you're going to make me cry. (laughs) I feel like 
if I didn't take that time, who would? Yeah. Because who was there, like, listening to me in the hardest moments of my life post asking me if I had pooped that day? (laughs) Like, it's the relationship you have with your nurses is something that, like, you can't have with anyone else. Yeah. They know you so intimately. Yes. And we know this treatment. We see the side effects. If you tell me you're having a difficult time walking or getting out of bed, like I am here because no, you're not the only kid that that happens to. And no mom, your kid's not crazy. Like you're not crazy for thinking your kid has this side effect. Like parents hear me like you need to be that advocate for your yeah. kid. If your kid told you that they're having stomach pains several times a week, but they're a teenager and they're like, mom, don't you dare say it in the yeah. room. Like say it. Yeah. Don't feel like you're the annoying mom. Yeah. That's always and calling like, the nurse phone. Yes. Just- and the, the thing I hear the most that I'm like, want to shake parents. Like they always say, I might be the crazy one to say this. That is never the scenario. Yeah. You are not the crazy one to say this. Like, fine, you're the mom with 20 questions, but you're the mom with 20 questions that are going to get answered. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I always tell my parent, and obviously I deal with school, nothing medical, but I always say, but I think it applies to everything in that clinic. Follow your mom gut. Absolutely. Whatever, what it's telling you is probably probably true. Yeah. So if you have questions about something, ask them. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And I our, think the mom gut our, is they know something our, to be reckoned with. Like oh there's absolutely everybody. <laughs> I don't have kids yet, but everybody needs to listen to the mom because the mom knows that child inside and out. They yes. Can, I can look at my and son and say, he's about to get sick. Yes. Or he, you know, if this isn't their norm, you need to tell us yeah. because yeah, I see your kid once a week and like I can get to know a version of normal. Yes. But I still will never know what that 24-7 normal is that mom knows. Yeah. Or yeah. a dad if he's the main caregiver. But it's yeah. that instinct that you gotta trust your gut. Yeah. We'll listen. I mean, some of us will, some yeah. Unfortunately won't. Yeah. Just keep telling us. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> well, Thinking about from day one to now, we do, we have a segment called High and Low. So if you could think of your whole oncology journey experience, how do you feel about the word journey? Do you think that I've heard, so I listen to a lot of different podcasts with yeah. different, with like survivors and um, one of the one that I listened to, it's called You, Me, and the Big C. There are three women from um, the UK, and they're hilarious. I need to but, check this out. Oh, it's really good. You okay. have to listen to it. Okay. Um, they're they're hilarious. Um, one well, one actually passed away, and now from her, cancer. Yes. Yeah. Oh. And her husband now is set, sets in. Um, but I remember listening to an episode before I started this. Mm-hmm. Um, just drawing inspiration from them. And she said, I hate the word journey. Yeah. Because it kind it makes it seem like this, like I'm going on a hike and it's like this beautiful <laughs> adventure. Yes. Yeah. She, she no, says, I say feel, experience or how do you feel about that word? I, I don't like a lot of words that people try to use to describe cancer. Like I know I said it earlier because I have a lack of other word to describe, but, but like, 
fight and battle is like something that just irks me. And like, yeah, because I've never heard this before. So I'm so glad no one loses a bat. Like I, (laughs) I hate when people say that this kid lost their battle because that means the last thing they did with their life was lose. And I am not okay with that. Wow. I'm not okay with that. Yeah. Because a battle is insinuating like a winner and a loser. I've never even thought about that. I am not a winner for being here. Yeah. Because survivor's guilt is a real, real thing. And we don't have time to get into that. But I I didn't win and the other kids lose. Yeah. And I'm sure you feel that even more, you know, in our clinic. And then you see, you see death sometimes and it's that survivor guilt. Like, how come I am here and that kid didn't have a chance? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I just remember this one kid I was going through treatment with. And he was from the same school, just several years younger he was in middle school. I was just about finished high school and he didn't make it. And people said, well, he lost his battle. And it's like, well, what does that mean for me? Like, yeah, yeah, I'm a survivor, but I'll take survivor over winner. Yeah. Because that doesn't insinuate that like I had anything to do with it. People yeah. survive crashes just because they're lucky. Yeah. And this is what, this is a, trophy I don't nobody ever wants I don't want I gosh I don't want it yeah but I have it but I don't want to be this winner like I'm I'm a survivor and I'm very thankful for that title but I'm not a winner yeah nobody wins when cancer's in the picture yeah that's I've never even thought of it like that yeah you said a couple words, so what's another one? Journey. So how do you journey. feel about journey? Journey doesn't hold as much weight with me as loser and winner. Yeah. yeah. I mean, journey can be anything. Yeah. My life journey has yeah. sucked. Yeah. Like, just yeah. in that aspect. I have a wonderful family. My parents are still married. Like, yeah. Are you, are you still, do you think you're still angry that that happened? Yeah. Do you think your mom is angry? I don't know. Do you think your sister or the that core that was with you? Do you think they? That I this- think they're just. Honestly, if I was not here anymore, I think they'd be angry. Yeah. Because you think they think it's over. Yeah. 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 And like, I wonder I if know. your mom would say that. <laughs> Probably not. Because um, how often do you go and? Do you go anymore? Go once okay. a couple years? Yeah, now that you bring that up. my I go every December to get labs drawn and say hi to a nurse practitioner Merry, I actually work with. Merry Christmas to you. Yeah, and uh, actually pay just to say hi. You saw me in clinic. Like I worked with you the past like 52 yeah. hi weeks. Again. Um, yeah. No, nothing's different from the last time I said hi to you seven days ago. So... You can charge me $85 now. Like, that's, <laughs> Draw my blood. That's the difference. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Do you get anxious about that? 
Not anymore. Is I your used mom? to. Yes, my mom will text me every December, and she's like, "Okay, when's your appointment? What time? When do you think your labs are going to be back?" Yeah. And then like she'll text me and be like, "Did you get your labs back yet? I really want to know the results or whatever." And I'll screenshot a picture. Yeah. Every December. Yeah. Do you, do you and wanna, that will be my life. Do you want to have kids one day? Yeah, we're talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. My husband and I have been married about five years. I yeah. met him and we started dating just after I finished treatment. So, wow. yeah. So he didn't get to see any of this do you with also, me. Do you feel like, because you said earlier, like learning how to give him that trust, do you feel like part of that is because he doesn't get any of this stuff? Yeah. And this is such a chapter yeah, in your book, is, if you will, that yeah. like he doesn't even understand. Or Yeah. And I, like I said, don't like to be vulnerable. So if I have to rehash this with him, and if he doesn't understand or fully grasp how terrible it was for me, then I won't trust him. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I don't want to go there because I don't want to have the opportunity to be mad about it. And I can't, I don't want this to come off sounding like I'm relating to because I'm not relating to, but um, just speaking about like trauma to trauma. Yeah. So losing my dad young and then yeah. I don't have my mom in my life. And my, my husband has like a Brady Bunch family. He's got like two loving parents yep. and two brothers and they're like perfect yeah. family. And sometimes when he so hardcore does not get how it feels to not have parents. Yeah. I put a wall up. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't trust you because no. I feel like, and I get mad at him and he's trying to be supportive and he's yes. trying to help, but it makes me be like, Ugh, yes, get, you don't even get it. My husband so, is wonderful. Yeah. He really is. And I, he wants so much to, for me to like let him in and we're, we will celebrate five years of marriage in December. Yeah. And I still, I am going to say this out loud and I'll probably tell him to listen to this. <laughs> I still don't feel like I fully taken down every wall I've yeah. put up. Yeah. And I don't know when that happens. Well, you know what I heard Michelle Obama say? What? It might be in her book actually. Um, <laughs> if you're married for 60 years, and 30 of them were shitty, you're doing pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and I, thought, I love that. I thought that's so awesome because I'm going on five years of marriage too. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think all the time we're still learning how to just be humans, let Absolutely. alone coexist as married couples. Yeah. So I think Zach the fact I, that you feel like all your walls aren't down, yeah. you're going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we, we both, like, have this mentality that for us, no – thoughts on anybody else, no judgment for anybody else. Like for yeah. us, divorce is not an option. Yeah. So we do so many other things before, like we will try so many other things before yeah. we get a divorce. Yeah. And one of the things we've done recently is actually looking into our personality types and really digging deep into um, what's called the Enneagram. Yeah. Figuring out what types we are, what those types have in common, but where we can really open the other person up and like get oh, to I know love, them I and and what brings this number life and what yeah. is so important yeah. for this number. And so 
it's not meant to put you in a box. It's not meant to say it's meant to help you understand your partner. It is so meant to help you. It's meant to help you understand you and, and like yourself. a yeah. big part of me. And what's crazy is this book is telling me that I need control. And I'm like, oh yeah, like I kind of knew that, but this is like now spelling I, it out for yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> and I hate being vulnerable and I don't trust people and like all this other stuff. And I'm yeah. like, uh, check that box, check that box, check that box. But so it's been very helpful for our marriage because that way Zach knows like it's not because she doesn't want to. It's because she almost can't. Yes. And that's what I am so thankful that he's starting to understand. Yeah. And like there's things about him that I just didn't get. Like, yeah, I don't need this is honestly this is going to come out so terribly, yeah. but I'm just going to say it. I don't need someone to tell me that I'm doing a good job. I know I'm doing a good job. (laughs) The problem is my husband needs people to tell him he's doing a good job. He thrives on just the um, I need it. I'm a validator. Yes, he needs validation. And so that is something that like me being the complete opposite that gets my own validation from myself. You don't know to give I that because to you, give don't val- it. you don't value it for yourself. So you no. assume other people don't value it. Well, like it. he would do the dishes and want to be thanked for it. And I'd be like, but they're your dishes. Yeah. But like, so <laughs> yeah. it's been such a learning process that it's like, no, he really does need to be thanked. Like he took the time out of his day. Yeah. And like some of those weren't his. Some yeah. of them were mine. Yeah. And so I and he's contributing to our home and our, our family. home and making and it look some, nice. And, and he needs somebody to tell him that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's been such a learning process, and I'm very thankful for it. Like a lot of people have their thoughts on personality type stuff, and yes. it's from the devil. Blah blah blah. <laughs> and like, well, I've I just heard that. <laughs> I think that I just think it's so. It's like the love helpful. La- the love language stuff. Yes, it's like, so helpful to like learn more about you, understand how you process, learn more about your spouse, understand how they process, and bring that together. Yeah, and I don't know. It's been so helpful in our arguments. Mm-hmm. Like I used to go to ten so quickly in our arguments because I value the intensity of it and just getting it done. Yeah, and my husband's like a turtle. Like, please stop talking to me. I don't want to yeah. do this. And like, it's just been helpful. Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, that's like that's. That's a generalization. I won't just say that's men. But I think generally yeah. us as women, we're like, I'm, fe- I'm here. I'm here <laughs> and I'm trying to talk about this now. Yeah. And and then let's let's reconcile it and put it to bed where my husband can just Absolutely. be like, let's just pretend this is not Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. us. If you think about sure. it, though, marriage is such a wild thing to even conceptualize. You're taking yeah. two people from two different backgrounds and family dynamics and past traumas and lives and meshing them together and saying, okay, now like share every life experience together and be together 24 seven and love (laughs) each other and go. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I show love in a different way than my husband shows love. And I want it given back to me in a different way than he does. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to know that about each other. And, and it's, it's okay. And it's okay. And you will never get it 100% right. But no. just putting the effort to figure it out and giving is your what matters. And benefit of the doubt. Absolutely. That's just how they're. Uh, yeah. Well, this, I like yeah. how this also turned into a marriage 
Yeah, marriage counseling. <laughs> but okay, so but I think before we were talking about that though. Highs and lows. I was yeah, I was asking you, what do you if you think about this whole oh, because we started talking about journeys. Journeys. Yes. If you think about this whole experience from day one of there getting that diagnosis to where you are right now and how you're processing through all of this, what has been a high and what has been a, a low? I think we'll start with low because no one I'm, all, I'm always that. the girl that wants the bad news first. Yes, so I like it. bad news first. <laughs> so I think the low, which probably turned into a high, but the low in the moment yeah. was losing what I thought was my support system in my friends. Yeah. Like my parents are always going to be there for me. They're wonderful parents. They're super supportive and they care. Yeah. So I didn't lose them. And like my grandparents were there, my sister, but that's family. Like the friends I had really made yeah, left when times got harder or like, I don't even want to say when times got harder, like my friends just straight up left. Yeah. Like I thought your cancer was going to be gone and you're cured in three months. Oh honey, no, this is a longer process. Yeah. And like the longer we got into it, the more they were like, yeah, I'm out. Like you never feel good. Yeah. I, like it ain't my fault. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't do anything to make me. It's hard to be your friend now. So I'm. So I'm out. out. It's probably what it felt like. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, do you know how hard it is to go through chemo and all of this every day, every week, every month? Like. Yeah. It's not easy doing this either. Yeah. I don't know. So that would probably be the low. But turning that into the high would like my family and I could not have been. Yeah. Like we're so close now. Yeah. And like I said, I couldn't imagine life without my twin sister and my older siblings are great as well. And my parents, I feel very close to my parents. We talk a lot. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> so, um, but I do think, a turning my low into a high, I do have another high that I yeah. actually feel like I becoming a nurse and finding my passion and purpose in life is absolutely the high from the whole experience. And yeah. I never thought I would be a nurse, but here I am and I love it. I mean, some days you don't love it, but yeah. being here for the kids, like I couldn't, I wouldn't trade it for yeah. anything. Do you think you're aware of like er earlier when I was, telling you how much of a gift I think you are to clinic. Do you feel aware of that or no? I try not to think about it. Yeah. Because I, I hope I am. Yeah. And I hope every day that I do something that impacts a family mm -hmm. or at least once a week, every day is kind of a stretch, but I hope that when I'm in clinic, I am impacting families and they do know that like I am here for them yeah. in the worst part of their life. When their support system leaves, I am here mm -hmm. and I hope I show that to them, but I don't like to think about it because I don't want to ever get to a place that I'm confident or comfortable in that. Yeah. Because I don't want to ever ruin what we have go like what I have going with these kids like if I'm ever too confident in it or too comfortable in it will it change yeah. will they not trust me well yeah. like I want I that's what I just don't want to think about it really I do hope that that's what I do yeah and I I don't well, take compliments super well and yeah. like some families have told me like 
we're so thankful for you. And I wish I had a better response than cool (laughs) (laughs) or like, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Like I just, I am so thankful and I just don't know how to show them that like, I'm so happy that I was able to help you. Like, I don't know. I'm just so bad at compliments. Well, so am I. And I, if I ever a family, you know, thanks me for anything, which I don't do anything. I'm school. I don't. Oh my gosh. Do this n- we couldn't stuff. do this. We but I just say, I'm so happy to. Yes. That, like, that's actually a good response. I should. I'm just so, like, yeah. I'm honored this to work in this clinic. This is what I want yeah. from the work that I grind to do. Yes. I want to help you. Yeah. yeah. I, I think we're so lucky. I think um, we had, my husband and I had this like family gathering on, on Saturday and one of his aunts was asking me what I do and said the typical, that's so sad. I don't know how you do oh that. Oh my gosh, please. And I said. Don't say that to me. I know. And I said, I mean, there are sad moments, but I am honored and so lucky yes. to do. I have a dream job. Yes. How many people get to go to work and get their egos checked like we do? Oh, and yeah. And leave feeling humbled. Yeah. And, and I like, we truly are a grain of sand on this huge beach of, that is the universe. We're just like a little yeah. teeny pebble. And that clinic makes you feel that and know that all the time. And not a lot of people get that when they get to go to work. And we no. do. No, I... Not only did cancer make me thankful for my family, I think working in the Hema Clinic makes me very thankful for yeah. my family. Yeah. The fact that I I can go home and my husband is healthy. Yep. Is that you're healthy she, now? Yeah, that I'm healthy now. It's just like I'm just so so thankful for yeah. it. And I am just so happy that I get to do this job. I don't, I really don't think a lot of people get to go to a job that they like feel fulfillment and they feel purpose and they Absolutely. feel happy. And like, yeah, I genuinely am happy in this job, even though not every day is a good day. Even though you're we struggling get, and have to e- talk yeah. to somebody, it's worth it. It is so worth it. And getting those emails with the worst title of bereavement notice is yeah. never easy. Yeah. But also, if you have ever seen a kid ring a bell at the end of treatment, yeah, it is worth it all. Yeah, we're all crying. Every nurse cries nearly every time because oh, as soon it. as don't as soon look as at the, the mom dad, and dad. yeah, as soon as the dad cries, we're all done. That's the problem. <laughs> but it's like dads keep it together. We can't Honestly, watch you cry. <laughs> I I would rank that as one of the best days in my life. Yes, and I like. Don't really remember it, but I have a ton of pictures because I think it was just like so crazy. Yeah. I get to ring this bell to signify that the worst thing I've been through so far in is my life over. is done. Yeah. But yeah, you still deal with side effects. Yes, there's still emotional things, but I can say that that is over. Yeah. So that I just, I, I don't know. Everybody cries, but I feel like I get a little extra emotional because I feel feel what that kid in that family feel in that moment that I just know how incredibly important this day is. I can't, I can't imagine the happiness, but also I would assume the relief. Oh yeah. Like, thank you. Yeah. I think the relief comes later though, because you still are in this, will it come back? Yeah. And I think that, that, that for me went away once 
they told me I was five years out. Yeah. And they're like, the chance of relapse after five years is slim to none. Yeah. So now I feel relief. Yeah. But I don't know if relief comes on the day of the bell. Yeah. Happiness comes, but I don't know if relief comes. Yeah. Yeah. But I have, I actually have families that do ask me that. Like, do you ever stop worrying? Yeah. And I don't like to, I don't really worry about a lot. Yeah. I don't like to think about, like, if it happens, it happens. Mm-hmm. I actually got cancer a second time during treatment. I ended up with melanoma. And then, side note, quick Which side you note. you told me this story recently, and that is wild. Yeah. So... You thought it was, you went in for like a mole. Yeah. And they were like, that one's fine, but this, this one's This one's not. crazy. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I ended up with melanoma and they, they took it off. It was no big deal. Do you um, see somebody annually for that? Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. So really? I have like my oncology visit <laughs> with my um, leukemia doc, but then, then I yeah. also have the, dermatologist. the skin. Yeah. Dermatologist. So, um Oh, so I joke about it. I don't know if I'd like if anyone else joked about it, but I always say third time's a charm. If it comes back the third time, it's going to take me and that's okay. But it's like, and everyone's like, Rhea, you can't say that. And I'm like, technically I had cancer twice. I can say whatever I want. (laughs) So, but anyway, it's just one of those things that like, I don't bother myself with it until the time comes when I need to worry about it. Yeah. But that's not the answer for everyone. There are some times when... People are just so worried about everything that they will worry for the rest of their life. And I can't help you with that. Yeah. So I always say parents, they ask me questions and I'm like, don't ask if you don't want to know the answer because I will be honest with you. Yeah. And maybe what I tell you isn't what you want to hear. Yeah. So anyway. Well, thank you for sharing your story Is this podcast like five hours long? I love it. Everybody else is going to love it. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Good. Um, Thank you for sharing because I know that that's not always easy. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for doing everything that you do in our clinic and being you. And I just thank you. Thank you. I'm grateful I'm, for you. I am grateful for y'all. And well, thanks. I'm I am grateful for this job. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Ria. Thanks. This was great. Hey, hey, thanks again for listening to another episode of Lifting the Fog. As always, please email us at liftingthefog1 at gmail.com. We want to hear from you with your questions, concerns, and thoughts and ideas on future conversations. And please subscribe, whether it's on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, but please subscribe and rate us. We would also love for you to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at LiftingTheFog1. And as always, Lifting the Fog is an independent podcast. All information, thoughts, and opinions shared are for informational purposes only. No material on this podcast is intended to be substituted for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please always seek the advice of your qualified health provider with any questions that you may have. Thanks for tuning in and 